On this bonus edition of Hoopsology, we welcome John Hartophilus, host of Gen Z Hoops Podcast and the Big Fellas Podcast. We talked to John regarding his basketball coaching career on the high school level. We discussed the Brooklyn Nets take possibly taking over as the best team in New York and other NBA topics. Enjoy this chat with John Hartophilus. He is the host of Gen Z Hoops Podcast and the Big Fellas Podcast. We welcome John Hartophilus onto Hoopsology. How's it going, John? It's going great. Thank you both, Matt, Justin. Thank you both so much for having me on. No problem. So, John, I'm just doing a little bit of research on you and, and just your basketball knowledge. We have a lot to just pick your brain about just in the time we're in, just a lot to discuss. So, at first, I really wanted to discuss kind of basketball as a whole. Um, we understand you're an, you're an assistant coach at a high school. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and, and just we want to get your impressions of just how the game has changed since the pandemic has hit. I mean, basketball fans know that they're watching it from a, I guess, professional view in terms of the NBA, the WNBA. But we haven't really seen the effects of the pandemic from necessarily a college or a high school perspective. Because, but so, can you just elaborate on that in terms of how it's affected you personally, in terms of how you just coach your kids, and just like your motivation and just feelings after the pandemic is over, and just in terms of will coaching stay the same, and where you see things progressing. Oh, 100%. And so me being a 20-year-old high school coach, it's definitely something where everything that I've kind of experienced in this high school space has been has been a little different. Um, so I, I started coaching right after I graduated from high school. They asked me to come back and fill in for the then-retired 20-year um, coach, Curly, who was there for forever. And just since then, it's always been difficult. This season was obviously by far the most difficult because there was so much uncertainty going into – it's funny, going into the summer, we were almost, oh, we're definitely going to have a season. Then football got pushed back, which then pushed us back. Um, and it was always – there was always a new start date. December 15th, January 4th, to now where we're hoping to get started officially with an actual season after February 4th. So there's still a lot to be done before that actually happens, but it, it has changed a lot to how I relate to players because normally my, my biggest role as an assistant, especially being younger and closer to them in age, is that I could hopefully get that, that personal relationship with them that most other coaches can't. Um, being older, while they're better authoritarians and better head coaches, I'd like to think that I, I, do, I, I do my best work being that relatable older brother, if you will. Um, so there's, of course, a fine line between being a role model and being their friend. And that's obviously something that, that's part of the biggest challenge of me getting through that every single day. But I do really uh, – what the pandemic did for that was it took all that virtual. So I had Zoom sessions with them over the summer. Um, we did try to get some games going. So in the summer, from starting in, from July until October when New Jersey shut down there, there's completely um, – I'd take about eight to ten guys every single weekend – to run a, it was an outdoor tournament at first, and then the last month it actually went indoor before they shut it down completely. So especially, I mean, just having after from March to J J uh, July, I hadn't even been inside a gym, let alone uh, a court. So coaching was definitely very strange at that point. And then when we got inside the gym, and there's actually refs with, with like you know, com it's completely the way we, we remembered it. It was definitely really weird, and it's, it's going to be something to overcome where we're going to have to get used to. Okay, now this is actually what coaching's like because I've seen, I've watched thousands of videos during the quarantine. I've tried to get better as much as I can, but nothing beats actually being there. So I'm really looking forward to what that might look like in the next few weeks. And on that point, just coaching the, the kids like over Zoom virtually because just with sports in general, it's it's more of just a in-person one-on-one as opposed to, I guess, virtual learning and just reading something out of a textbook. So how have you been, I guess my question is, is 
how have you changed your coaching style when you're doing it virtually? Um, is there stuff you're doing kind of differently compared to when you're one-on-one, you can actually like show them like a different technique, but virtually it's just a little impersonal when it's just over a technology like that. Of, of course. I've had to get much better, I think, at really paying attention to my language. Normally when I'm talking to someone in person, you have the ability to say, well, you to say something and then and then fix what you said because you could tell from their from their face what what the, the impact of what you just said has on them or for example the tone of your voice really tells 90% of what you mean to say so now though over text i have to be very cautious of okay if i say this text how can he interpret this um is it going to come off as constructive criticism or as 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 aggressive criticism um because in person when you when you they they'll have that relationship with me when i talk to them they know it's constructive they know it's always like that they can tell from my from my voice and everything over text they don't know if i'm mad they don't know if i'm if i'm if i'm if i'm upset at them they can't understand that so my biggest hurdle has definitely been paying much more attention to exactly the words i say and how the, and most importantly thinking okay how can these be interpreted by them by everyone John, I wanted to get your thoughts on, from a coach's perspective, we, we talk a lot in the NBA, like last season, for example, the players getting a big break between March and when they finally started basketball again in the bubble in July. Uh, there's, there's often this perception in the media, um, this maybe over-concern, maybe not, about conditioning and players returning to playing after a long, uh, unplanned break like that. What's your perception as a coach of, uh, the reality of the risk there in, ter- in returning to play after a long break. Oh, it's definitely very real. And it's something that okay, we, we could try as best as we can as high school coaches to get guys in the gym was under COVID situations once a week or have those Zoom workouts and, and keep on, tr- on top of them. But it's obviously much different. I would say much worse even for people at the high school level because when you're in the NBA and you're professional, you have your own trainer. You, you've, you've obviously gotten to that level. You've, you've worked out. And, and, and you've, you're able to be self-motivated uh, from at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. It's very difficult to do that. So that's what I would say my, my biggest challenge has been and my job has been over the last few months is making sure I can try to help them as much as they can. But it, it'll be very interesting to see who's in shape and who's not in shape um, the next few weeks when we, when we finally start. Absolutely. How, how have the um, your players reacted? To, have, have you gotten a speak with them since the news of practice returning and, and all of that. I mean, what has the response been from them? So I feel like I dropped a Woj bomb when I sent the tweet into the group chat where <laughs> they all went, it was a ballistic of, 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 of liking the message and, and, and disbelief and them all sharing it on their social media because they're so happy. So definitely a really positive reaction. I'm hearing it. Um, it was, it, it was obviously great for me. I, I sent it to all the other coaches. They, they, some of them hadn't even heard of it yet. Um, the news broke on Twitter when our, when our director um, of the league retweet, uh, tweeted, made a tweet out saying that we're returning to play. So they were definitely overjoyed. Um, up until this point, I've just been saying, uh, so I, I coached the freshman team. They would have been playing JV this year. My whole mantra to them has been, you, you might not have a JV season. Um, and then some, some of you, right, might never play basketball ever again. Right, because like a lot, a lot of a lot of uh, players have a freshman and so- JV season, and then only five of those fifteen make it to the varsity level. Let's say, so a, the, the very real chance is that if, they, if if COVID takes away the season from us, a lot of you will never play again. You have to be thinking varsity this whole way through instead of thinking about JV. Um, that's kind of been what I, I, I would I would hope they've taken that mindset and, and done work on their own, and, and will continue to do that because if because we're planning to have a season it could change tomorrow where they tweet out saying okay never mind we're not having anything um or we could get two games in and the same thing could happen so what are you doing now to prepare yourself for the varsity level or or just down the line because if we if we we kind of as people over 
overestimate what we can do in, in, in one day, but underestimate what we can do over a year, let's say. Um, so a lot of them kind of just think, okay, let me just focus on the now instead of focusing on, okay, like down the line, which for them is the varsity level. For me, it's whether it's things with the podcast or getting into the sports industry, that's kind of my thing down the line. And for everyone, it's different. But what are you doing to really prepare yourself for what's going on down the road? Um, an additional question regarding the kids on the varsity level and if there's not a season that's a year taken away from them in terms of sending that tape to your prospective college and getting a scholarship how are they adjusting to that um, because I've always wondered like that's a full season of player development that's taken away and I guess compared to college in which you can redshirt there's other things you can do high school you don't want to stay back for an additional senior year of high school so how are players adjusting to that in terms of maybe they're not being a basketball season for their senior year and them having to send out videos of maybe their junior or just previous years so when it comes to the idea of redshirting, I have seen that like, it looks like there's been an uptick in the number of seniors. Let's say they go to let's say go to the prep school route. Um, so you do see a lot of guys taking that as an option, which is something I wasn't really familiar with before COVID happened. But I've seen a lot of guys take that route, and it's it's for it's for it's for their best interest. And most times, it's it's always been fifty fifty, and and it's kind of been more about the player. But it, like in terms of what are you going to do once you get to that prep school, right? How how are you going to take that time? But now it's kind of a last resort where if you don't have a senior year. And no coaches have reached out to you before then. So many guys get all their offers in their senior year where maybe you were you were you weren't playing much your junior year. You both get a lot better and guys move on to where now you're 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 in the starting five. So now you don't you lose that opportunity. For a lot of them, they they have take I have seen them take that route. But really I would think I would I would hope and I, from what I've seen that college coaches have been very of course cognizant of, of they, they're very aware of the world we live in and and, and the, the what the last few months have, have the challenges they presented for all of us. So I would hope that but the college coaches that I've seen have done a good job of it, but that college coaches everywhere are really taking the time to say, okay, send us film of you and other leagues, let's say, because we know you can't have a high school season. Um, when you when you meet, like, wait, let's let's figure out this um, to do these Zoom interviews to really get to know you, because normally we'd have you in person at the big at the big table um, with the trophies all around the room, but we can't really do that right now to to, to really get through to you. So how how does a Zoom call work? It, it's really it, it's on everyone to try to try to make the best out of the situation that we're in, and hopefully. Um, it's made a lot easier for us with with seasons actually taking place. Um, John, I want to shift gears to just the NBA. And, and since you're involved in player development, this is something that I've asked on like every single podcast where we had a guest because it's one of, I think, the biggest mysteries in the NBA that I was trying to figure out. And that is Ben Simmons. And um, he's been on the topic of his trade rumors um, regarding the whole James Harden saga. And I, I want to discuss him as a player in terms of how he fits in with the 76ers and what people actually see in him in terms of being just a superstar. And I don't want to be keep being redundant as bringing this up all the time, but I feel that it's relevant just because the 76ers have a real chance, especially with um, Joel Embiid, um, his MVP type of season to really make some moves. And Ben Simmons is a big part of it. And, but what I'm seeing is just, I don't know. A lot of people think of him as a LeBron James S type of player. And I've never understood that ever since he's been, you know, from LSU, from even him in Australia to now. Um, what are your opinions on him as a player? And just his season has been pretty lackluster so far. It, it just his psyche and just in terms of him almost pretty much being moved to Houston and just him as a player moving forward, just his psyche and just his further development. Do you see him as a, you know, superstar in this league still, or do you think he's overrated? 
even when it comes to still, I don't know if I've ever seen him as a superstar in the league. Um, just because he, he, when you think of superstars, I would think of guys that it's a step above all-star, right? And Ben Simmons is an all-star, but is he a surefire all-star starter year in and year out? I don't know about that. The superstars I would think is, is a title more pertained to the LeBron KDs where you're a multi-time all-star and, and, and you're, you've always, you've always been that. Um, and it's kind of undisputable. Your greatness is undisputed. Uh, ben Simmons really has, when it, when it comes to, has he had huge moments? Um, can you really remember a time where he's taken over a game? Like when, when it comes to the LeBron comparison, I'd say the biggest difference is, sure, Ben Simmons is the, the, the ideal point forward, right? Can, it can, can get by almost anyone and get to the rim, of course. But when there's such a big question mark on a part of your game, LeBron never had a question mark on anything. Um, there's always been the thing about his free throw shooting and how he's always underperformed in that category. But other than that, even when LeBron first came into the league, at 21, 22 years old, he was taking over games. He was scoring 25 straight points in the, in, 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 to, to win to win games um, in the fourth quarter. He was doing things like that. So there's definitely levels to this. And while I do think Ben Simmons is a great player and he can take the Sixers very far, who've been playing great all season, um, especially with Joel Embiid putting forth one of the in, in one of the most in one of the tightest MVP, early MVP races we've seen in a while with him and Jokic and all these other guys that are putting up great numbers and, and and really leading good teams where there's no where there's no one or two guys. It's not a two-horse race. It's, this year might be way more than that, as, and we'll see as the year goes on. But Ben Simmons is a very talented player, but he does have a lot of things to do before we can start looking at him that way. Um, on that topic of the 76ers, I, I brought up Houston earlier, and you, of course they were involved in that Brooklyn Nets trade. Um, give your overall impressions of what do you make of just that massive trade with James Harden. Um, I believe that the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers were involved as well. Just your overall impressions of where the league goes. Of course, Brooklyn is kind of – that's the glamorous – um, kind of highlight of that entire trade, that those big three there. What did she make of it when you – I'm sure you saw the tweets from uh, Shams and Woj. Uh, what did she make of that, just that big-time trade? I, I saw the tweets the moment they came out, and I saw them go from, like, zero likes to, like, 10,000 likes in, like, literally five seconds. I, I refreshed it the moment I saw it, and it, blew, it went to 10,000 likes. <laughs> I mean, obviously kept on ballooning past that because it, it was the biggest news we've heard in months. I would say since the Lakers won the championship, it's probably the biggest thing that's happened in the league since then. Um, so – Definitely, I was shocked to see it happen. And I, we always thought something that a trade would go down, but the pieces involved, Brooklyn did give up a lot. My opinion on that would be that if, and this isn't by no means a guaranteed championship, but when uh, your title window is only so big, um, the, the Nets have Kyron Kidd in the contract, sure, but things can happen whether it's injury. Well, both both players have shown recent uh, injury in, injuries in the past, and even Durant. It's not just the Achilles; it's also back in, in after his MVP season, he had some problems. And still, with with Kyrie, you ne- you kind of never know you can you're gonna get with him. So they were are much closer now to a championship than they were before, just by giving up. You get basically switching carries over for James Harden. The the big stuff, I, I I would hope they'll figure out at some point whether it's by DeAndre Jordan showing that he could fill that role for Jared Allen nicely making a, a move for a backup center for, for DeAndre, doing doing something to help alleviate that. So Kevin Durant is not being asked to kind of score all your points, rebound rebound everything, and, and, and can kind of do what he does best more. But the Nets definitely um, really did, did what I think a team in their position should do, which is when you have that title window, when you're the Nets, you've other than being in the championship when the East was super weak in 2002 and 2003, when have they ever been even close to that? It hasn't happened. If you're the Lakers, maybe you could say, okay, we're we're gonna get we're gonna get big time free agents. We're gonna we're gonna we have all this all this pedigree. Let's let's keep our future for the next few years and not go all in right now. Those teams have the luxury of saying that. For a team like the Nets, I I feel like that that having competitive seasons, especially now when the Knicks are reeling, and me being a native New Yorker and a Knicks fan, I, I kind of 
I, I, I support, I, I'm not one to kind of hate one team over the other. And, and obviously I, I've been a fan of a lot of these guys on the Nets for, for forever. So it's not that I don't want the Nets to win, but just thinking practically, if the, if the, if the Nets, while the Knicks are reeling right now, right over the last 10 seasons, haven't played the way they've been playing and the Nets now come in and maybe they don't even win a championship, but they, they, they really go deep in the playoffs and make a few runs for a couple of years. Now the narrative starts to switch a little bit. That, that's a franchise that needs that to happen because if they keep doing what they're doing, they'll be stuck as the Knicks' little brother. Not that the, the, it's very different than the Lakers and Clippers where the Lakers have 16 championships for the Clippers uh, never being in a conference finals. There's, there's, there's some differences there for sure. But the Knicks and Nets, the Nets have an actual legit shot at if they can have some really productive seasons, really, exp- really growing the brand of their franchise. So just a follow-up real quick. I'm sorry, Matt, just on no, that okay. point. Um so are you basically saying, because I, I, you just brought up some thoughts in my mind, Madison Square Garden is a hollow ground and for basketball. And that arena carries a lot of credence to why players want to play there. And so if Brooklyn has a huge line of success over the years, are you basically saying that that's going to be the team of New York? Is it possible that they could just overtake it in like the Barclays Center? Could this be like the new um, kind of mecca for basketball? Is that even possible? Or do you just see this is too much history um, just with the, the next in Madison Square Garden? So as a Knicks fan, as a Knicks fan, this is basketball heresy. What I'm about to say, and I'll have people that are very upset with me for, for, for what I'm going to say. Sure. But the say Knicks it. are. It, it really is. How many decades have the Knicks been inc- historically relevant in? Um, it, when you when you when you think about that, of course, okay, they won two championships in the '70s. Great, of course. If, if we go further back, not that anyone really cares about that for the most part, but the '50s and '60s still so so. Sure. Um, but then the '80s, okay, some great scoring seasons with Bernard King, awesome. And the, the 90s is where things really heat up, where you have Patrick Ewing and, and, the, and the finals appearance and all, all that great, great stuff. In the, in the, in, even in those times, though, the historical teams of that generation are, of course, the Chicago Bulls 90s. You would maybe take the Jazz having maybe a better overall decade. Some teams like that. In the 2000s, we all know. In the 2000s, 2010s, we've all, we've all seen what the, what the Knicks have been like. So I, I do think that while Madison Square Garden is is considered hollowed ground, and, I, and as and as a Knicks fan, I want to see the Knicks succeed. It's tough from a realistic perspective to look at them and say this is a team that is an all time great franchise. The way the Lakers, Celtics, and maybe even like, like we can even go further, the Spurs, um, the Warriors. There's so many other teams. It's not just really the, the the ring count. It's just how many seasons have you been relevant, historically relevant? How many seasons? How many seasons do you think of when you think of the 2005 season? Right? You think of the Spurs winning. You think of six let's say kobe kobe dropping 81 point you think of of these monumental moments for these for these historically great franchises the knicks don't really come up when you when you're when you're really when you're going back in nba history they don't show up as much as they should when when looked at in that, in that light so it, it what i what i what i'm saying will upset many people but when you when you take a step back and look at it if, if you take the name of new, the new york knicks off the table and you look at them for what their franchise has actually done and the actual on the court production over the last 50 years they don't leave as much as to be desired as a lot of these other teams. And if the Nets have that recency bias of, okay, we just won a championship or we were just, you know, we had an all time great team or we have three superstars. And, you know, even with Madison square garden, no one's coming to the Knicks, but they're coming to the Barclays center and okay, we, we, we win a championship. Now we have more free agents coming in and they're, and they're kind of maybe, maybe this doesn't happen in the next five years. Maybe it takes 15, 20 years. But the Nets have the chance to where if they really go all in now and, and start to start to see some wins, they might overtake the Knicks. It, it, it's 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 really difficult to say that, but it's just when you realistically look at it, it it's possible. 
John, I, I think those are all great points. And I wanted to ask you a quick follow-up to that. And, and then I do have some follow-ups about the Nets specifically. But, um, you know, when you when you think of like your high school players or players you've coached in recent years, um, what is their perception of the Knicks? Is there a reverence for Madison Square Garden at all? Because, I mean, Justin and I, you know, full disclosure, we're in our mid-30s. Uh, we can remember those Patrick Ewing teams pretty well. Um, it, what's the perception among, you know, high school age kids? That's the thing. Most of these high school age kids, from what, I, from what I'm seeing, regurgitate what, let's say, Stephen A. Smith is saying and saying, oh, well, the Knicks, <laughs> the, the Knicks, the Knicks, and I, I love Stephen A. Smith, but they're, they're just saying, oh, well, the Knicks are Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. They bring all, you know, all these free agents. They kind of focus on that because they've heard it. But do they actually believe it? And and how it's kind of difficult to say that they do because they haven't really seen those results mean anything for them in their entire in their entire lifetime. Mm. Yeah, I think you know there's there's definitely a certain point in time where I think generation generationally a brand can get tarnished. And if the Knicks haven't passed that, I, I certainly think they're getting close. Uh, following back up on the Nets, the two most common things that that I'd love your perspective on as a coach. Um, the, the two most common storylines, I mean, before this trade happened, I think a lot of people were saying, you can't bring these three guys together. There's only a certain number of shots you can take per game. These guys, their strengths, at least on the offensive end, I mean, the threat is really in them shooting. I know a lot of people, that, that's a very unnuanced take, but that's what's being thrown around there. So I'd love your opinion on that. And then also the Nets are 27th. Um, and this is the accumulation of the season, not just what we've seen the last week. 27th in the league on opponents opposing points per game. Uh, so obviously, you know, another hot take has been the defense is going to be a problem. They're not going to be able to sure up this defense. They might be handcuffed as far as what moves they can make with this roster. You know, maybe some buyout moves, but but really this roster might be fixed for this year. So what are your thoughts on on the offensive side of the ball, are there enough shots to go around to keep everyone happy? And on the defensive side of the ball, do they have enough as it is right now? Or do you, do you think they can, I guess, evolve and adapt as a team and sure up that defense? You know, by the way, Steve Nash, as you know, first year coach, Mike D'Antoni, an assistant coach, not classically known for his defensive coaching. What are your thoughts on all that? Definitely just off that last point, Mike D'Antoni is definitely not known for his defensive coaching. I, I, I can't tell you how many times. That's just I feel I feel bad because of how often that's brought up about him, and it's just it follows him everywhere. And, and I love Mike D'Antoni. I'm not yep. trying to not yeah, trying of course. to hate. <laughs> it's just funny thinking about that. But going back to your original question about there, you know, is there is there only one basketball? My, my argument to the whole thing about them, them, they can't win together is why can't they? I understand they might not be able to win together. I understand it'll, you know, they'll have to figure some things out. I understand those arguments completely. But to say they can't would mean that they're not, you know, fantastic. They're not fantastic talent. They're not incredibly talented. They're not incredibly intelligent as in terms of basketball players, as 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 people that can that can hopefully build good relationships with each other. That they're, they're personable and that they, they've obviously shown that they're, they've, they've whether it's um, that fact that. Hard and Durant played together before. Whether it's the fact that KD and Kyrie are obviously friends, um, like there's 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 reasons on in, in terms of in, in terms of those, those are reasons why they can make it work. Of course, the basketball reasons I would argue, Harden's never been outside of his early days in OKC, but that 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 that, that really doesn't um, hold precedence here. He's never really been a second option and or, or, or really a support or, and in any way not the be all and end all for a team. 
Kyrie Irving's been that before. In 2016, he was that for the Cavs. Kevin Durant, when he was with the Warriors, it wasn't the be all and end all. There were so many other options. There was so the ball was moving beautifully. It was beautiful basketball. And and and, and my, my argument to that would be they've shown that they can do it before. Now, is it more difficult, of course, when it's three guys instead of two? When it's instead of as Kevin Durant having just LeBron on your team, you have Kyrie and James Harden who are both incre- have incredibly high usage. Or how about instead of having Steph Curry, who's an incredibly unselfish player, now things are changing up a little bit. I, I understand, of course, the, the problems that you might see with that, but offensively, I, I would never want to say can't when it comes to this, when it comes to any team, especially with them, though. They, they definitely have the talent and the, the basketball IQ and, and relationship with each other to, to hopefully make it work. And then on the defensive end of it, um, just, just to touch on that a little bit, that's definitely a problem. And, and, tw- and when, when you really have t- uh, championship aspirations, you can't be 20, you know, f- but below than 15th and anything, let alone 27th. So that definitely is a huge red flag. I'd hope that they can change it up in the, in the coming games. Maybe they start actually getting some consistency together. They, they understand the schemes they want to run because they have the kind of, offense is a much more talent-based thing where, okay, kind of you can plug James Harden in a little bit, maybe smoother there. Defensively though, there's so much coaching involved in that and so much in rotations. I definitely can see how that might take them a little bit longer to gel in and say, okay, let's let's really be on a string here defensively. Where offensively they're just out 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 talenting people. Defensively it might take a little bit more to kind of get in tune with one another. And what do you make of Steve Nash then? Because he's this is his first year. We're already seeing Kyrie just go MIA. He's back. We don't know if he could go missing again for it as a number of reasons. And I'm sure that's going to hurt just the team chemistry. So when it comes playoff time where I think defense does matter a lot more where, you know, you have, like you said, there's schemes. There's going to be things where you're not going to be able to get away with stuff you were able to pull off in the regular season compared to um, the conference finals and in the finals itself. So I guess my question is, is, how do you think Steve Nash, as like from a coaching perspective, is going to be able to, you know, encounter other, I guess, coaches within the league, such as like a Doc Rivers, who's in the Eastern Conference, or even somebody, I know the Heat are struggling, but I mean, I was telling Matt this, if the Heat get, you know, the eighth spot, and if the Brooklyn Nets get the one spot, hypothetically, I mean, anything can happen in that, that scenario with Eric Spostra. I mean, he's under that tutelage with, with Pat Riley. Do you see Steve Nash, I guess, having the coaching, I guess, chops to just hang with making adjustments with this team? I, I know they're super talented, but at this, like you said, I mean, their offense is not going to be able to just bail them out of certain situations against elite teams in the playoffs. Of course, what I would say about Steve Nash is obviously a you know, when you're when you're top five in assists, obviously you know the game, and he definitely is is a well respected basketball mind. And I would I would hope it, it was really weird to see Kyrie Irving take that time off when there's someone that he respects so much, such as like Steve Nash coaching your team. Uh, like it, it it was definitely weird to me to to see that, and I I, I still don't know what to make of it, and I, I don't think I ever will, um, and I don't think anyone ever will. I don't think anyone has a like no one. Everyone kind of just dances around the idea of it because no one has any they're just saying oh Kyrie's MIA but then the, when they try to explain it it's like well I don't know why he was MIA uh, it's kind of been everyone's reaction to it but when it comes to Steve Nash as as a coach and the way he'll make adjustments we won't really know we have no idea of knowing until he gets into his first playoff series it'll be interesting like you're saying with a team like the Heat who are so well coached and who are so disciplined right and, they, and the reason they made that run to the finals is not because they had the most talent on the floor it's because they worked very beautifully together um, so that like like the, the heat are the definition of a team. The Nets aren't a team yet because they just they they all just uh, came together, and it's going to take some time. If they're not a team by the time the playoffs roll around, they they do have the potential to get to get upset. I mean, I, I would hope for their sake that they're able to figure that out because that'll be 
it's like whether it's a, a first round or a second round a collapse would be absolutely catastrophic for them. But when it comes to Steve Nash, we'll we'll have to see what he does then. What happens when Jimmy when when, when you can't contain Jimmy Butler? Let's say for when it's the Heat. What happens when you're in the second round against the Sixers and Joel Embiid gets hot? Uh, uh, there, there's so many things that. And Joel Embiid specifically being a big, and the Nets not having that kind of size in their depth chart. What do you do as a coach when when you like like someone someone someone's going off on you and you don't have the the tools to just get rid of that problem? You have you have to you have to find a way to as a team solve the problem, not just okay, I'll just put in this one guy and he'll fix it. Because coaching so much more than subs, right? There's there's so much more. I, when, when, when young people or even me, let's say before I started coaching, I always thought, okay, well this is easy, you just. Play the five best players, which is the furthest thing from the truth. You don't play. You don't. You don't. The start. The starters aren't the five best players. The five players that play the best together. Um, but you think to yourself, oh, put in the five best guys. The sixth best guy goes in for the guy that's playing the the, the worst of the five guys, and we just go that from from there. Um, so if, if we're getting killed on the boards, you put in our big guy. Like like that. It's it, it, it's such a simple way to think of it, but that's that's not how it works at all. If a problem like that happens, Steven just has to adjust on the fly, quarter to quarter, maybe minute by minute as to how do we solve this problem and from a basketball from as a as a basketball mind going into it having no coaching experience we have to kind of look at him the way we look at anybody at anybody else but obviously with a higher level of respect being that he he had the career that he had and in, in the in the manner that he kind of had that great career so that my my response to what we think of steve nash is just kind of we have to wait and see and hopefully he he does what everyone kind of expects him to do because of that that great history Go ahead, Matt, if you have another question. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of uh, shifting gears here, um, John, I wanted to get your thoughts um, and, and maybe collectively your thoughts as well as, you know, maybe some some of your good friends, uh, people you talk to about the game. Um, you know, during our time off from getting to watch long basketball, unfortunately, during that pandemic, what we did have to entertain us was the last dance with, you know, Michael Jordan, who I got back here. Uh, I wanted your thoughts just on that documentary overall and what it did for, you know, you host uh, Gen Z Hoops. I wanted your your thoughts just on what that documentary did for uh, Michael Jordan's reputation for Gen Z. Of course, and I have that same picture in my in my bedroom right, right behind my door. Myself, I'm not sure if you've seen it, so really wish nice. I could have been there to show that off the same, the same exact picture. <laughs> um, but really, in terms of I mean, in terms of what the last days did for Gen Z, it really showed us okay, this is how good this guy was. Because um, a lot of people, well, well, a lot of times it, it's so easy to forget. People forget how how well, not really how good Jordan was, but kind of just how it happened. Um, it was funny. Like my, my my father watched it with me, and he was around during the time, but he wasn't that into basketball. And he goes, "Oh my God, Michael Jordan retired." And there's definitely so many people that are, that are younger. That's my dad who's older and just didn't watch the game. There's so many people now who are maybe newer to the game of basketball that maybe that's an extreme in terms of not knowing that he retired, but not knowing so many of these little details. I expected a little more for it, being that I, I followed the game so much. There was really very little that was never heard before, and I thought I'd hear more. I, I was really hoping for more of that. Really, everything, all these big stories about Scottie Pippen sitting out and all, 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 those were like groundbreaking to everybody. Those were that, that we knew about that beforehand. That wasn't, I mean, and and me not obviously not be, having been around for that. I obviously saw whether it was YouTube videos about it or had read up on it in articles. A lot of the things that happened, I kind of knew about. There were maybe two sessions of them filming something in practice. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It definitely shed more light to me about everything pertaining to everything, the the problems they're having with their GM and their own own ownership. That definitely was something that I didn't know much about. That what I I learned more of. But I I really did hope to see more of a little bit more of kind of Jordan's mentality in a way that we hadn't seen it before. 
a lot of the stuff we, we knew about it, it, it just showed us maybe different angles or maybe had more people talk about it in, in, in ways. But in terms of him punching Steve Kerr, we knew that. Uh, it would have been nice to have seen stuff that, oh my God, that happened. Um, so the thing with Dennis Rodman, everyone was shocked by that. There's a 30 for 30 short about yes. him in Vegas. Yep. And I thought to myself, I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I watched a 30 for 30 short, but no one else, everyone on Twitter is saying, oh my God, it's so crazy, Carmen Electra and all this. Um, so... <laughs> I, I, I for sure enjoyed it. It was definitely entertaining. And it was, it was a, it's during the quarantine, especially it was a ritual every, every night. Um, it definitely was a huge motivation for the podcast because whether it's thinking about the, having the right mentality to, get, to, to be competitive and to, and to, and to, for me, it was trying something new, but really just be the best of yourself in, in something that you, that you love. For me, it's basketball. The podcast is much more than a pot than a podcast to me. It really just pertains to how I, I want to show that I, and uh, whether it's, I, I could talk about how I'm passionate for the game all the time. I can come on the, I, on your, I can come on your show or go to a job interview and say, "Well, Justin and Matt, please believe me, I'm passionate about the game of basketball." And maybe if you hear me talk for 30 minutes, you'll 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 uh, you'll you'll know that. But most people don't have time to listen to you talk for 30 minutes. If you're in a job interview, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Even probably you'll need more time than that. The goal with the podcast was similar, and, and the last answer, of course, was a huge inspiration for that. Whether it's even a lot of people, a lot of other people started podcasts and, and credited Kobe for it, and and we all draw inspiration from our idols like, like Michael Jordan and people like that. The podcast really was a living and breathing collection of how much I love the game. So if you ask me, okay, are, do you have determination or how, you know, how, how do you, how can you show that? I'll say, okay, look, I, I posted an episode every single day in the new year. So I'm, I'm it says the 25th. I'm at episode 25. Before that, it was three times a week on the interviews in big fellas basketball. If you want to know how I'm, I, I know the game or maybe it's how I, how I can network with people listen to see some of the guests I've had on see how I how, how I interact with them um so that's what I, I would hope kind of came out of that and that and I would say I was in the last dance was because it happened the last dance finished in the end of May I launched the podcast in June it definitely was a big inspiration for me finally finally doing something I wanted to do for such a long time awesome um John I agree with your sentiments exactly um Matt and I spent a lot of times reviewing this documentary as Matt knows I kind of felt guilty not like loving it like everybody else did mm -hmm. just yep. by the points that you outlined um just the Dennis Robin thing not only that that short but the bad boys documentary and also I'm a huge pro wrestling fan so I knew all about him like doing the whole thing with Hulk Hogan as well I remember mm -hmm. being a young kid watching that like live um so I pretty much I was expecting from the documentary a lot of just unseen, unheard stories. Um, I think such as the security guard, like them playing, them gambling yep. before the game started, <laughs> um, stuff like that. I like um, that. That's good. I, I want to ask you, following up on that documentary, there seems to be a lot of just an older generation of that era. So it's, you know, Shaq, Charles Barkley, and the newer generation, and there's a clash between the two. And we saw that outline with Donovan Mitchell um, and Shaq on Inside the NBA. And we've seen this with Shaq, in, I think Charles too, with Draymond Green, and Shaq with um, JaVel McGee and Dwight Howard. And that's our other guests this too. What do you think of just the generational clash of the game? Because it just seems, for instance, I mean, you coach, so this is actually a good question to ask you. Um, just, it seems, for instance, like Shaq, he's a traditional big man. And I, I think it was um, 
trying to remember the game. I think it was the Lakers. Um, they're on. They're playing, and he was. They're both praising um, Anthony Davis for being inside the paint and him not taking a lot of threes. Um, and I think the same thing with Giannis too. So I guess my question is, do you see a generational clash between kind of those old school players and new school players? And then also with the last dance, even from a competitive standpoint of just, you know, when Jordan played, he was considered heartless and he was considered very cutthroat. But yet he hung out with Charles Barkley and they, you know, golfed and gambled. So it's not like it was such a, you know, cutthroat mentality. So I guess what do you make of just the kind of that there's a generational clash just between like the era that we see now from LeBron on compared to, I guess, the Jordan era and before that. Of course. And I, w- I would say this clash between generations even expands further from play from players and past players who there's only so many of them to fans. Right. And maybe even okay, a- anyone that enjoys the game. There's that generational class clash. And what I would just say is, it, 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 I don't want to sound too harsh on these older players, but they have to realize that the game's changing. And whether it's for the better for, or for worse, or you enjoy it more or you don't, it is changing. It's, un, it's undisputable that it's changing. And that's just something that and it'll, it'll happen again. Players now in, in, in high school are doing Vince Carter's uh, 2000 dunk package in layup lines, right? There's, there's high school <laughs> seniors all over the country that might might not even get division one scholarships that are, that are, that are freaks of nature that, you know, would have been fantastic players 34 years ago. I mean, that's just because over time there's better training. The game's gotten bigger more people are playing it. Guys that would have played football in the past now are moving over to basketball. There's a million reasons for why this is happening, but that's something old guys definitely have to understand is that, okay, the game, the game will change. Um, and that's something that definitely leads to a lot of these clashes where they see that Dwight's playing differently than Shaq used to play, or that maybe he's not as good and the whole Superman thing. And they get on him for that. And maybe that Dwight was a little self-inflicted by Dwight, a little bit over, overdone by Shaq, whatever way, whatever the reasoning is. And it's Donovan Mitchell too. And they, they, a lot of times I see where there's, there's unnecessary hate and hate's a strong word, but it's, it's the same. It's the concept of having haters and, and, and all that where to make news it's okay let's let's really overreact to something or let's really harp on something that that was just different when we played um i i would hope to see less of that as time goes on because in 20 years the same thing i mean the same thing will happen on the court where guys will be 100 times more talented and there's there's no way that's not that's definitely going to happen and they're they're high schoolers now that are that that could play in the league right now and it's going to keep on the the world's completely it's the basketball world is is always going to be like that but it really is um, the, in terms of I, I've definitely seen that that generational clash, and I, I, I hope it goes away soon, but I, I don't really see it happening. 100 uh, percent agree ahead. with you, John. I, I think that's such a great point that the league is evolving, but also I don't think we've reached that kind of ceiling of, of talent uh, continuing to get better and better. Uh, that's that's definitely been apparent when you look from kind of the strength and conditioning principles um from back in jordan's time to what we have now with lebron where you hear that he's spending upwards of a million dollars and beyond just on his conditioning um you know i i only see that expanding further and further is that the sense that you get um just kind of having your eyes in the game from the coaching perspective a hundred percent um lebron spending a million dollars on his body now is is considered insane everyone's gonna be doing that in the the next few years contracts gonna go up Basketball has become more of a lucrative sport. It's going to grow, whether it's in terms of as a sport, whether it's okay. Twenty years ago, football was not the basketball surpassed football, but it's getting closer than it used to be. Same thing with with baseball, but it, like and, and all these other sports. Basketball was always you always hear about you always hear about the NBA and everything when it comes to 
that finals be on tape during the eighties. And now it's the biggest thing. It's the, it's one of the biggest sporting events of the year. Things like that will always just continue to change for the league. And I, I just see that also having an impact on the talent we see and the players that come out of it. Um, one more question, John, and then we'll uh, let you go. Thank you very much for uh, spending some of your Sunday with us. Um, I want to get your thoughts uh, where you see the NBA season going from here. We've seen a lot of games postponed. Um, there's unknown if they're going to be made up. We could have a possible scenario like we saw with college football where the, the two teams in the national title game had vastly different records. Um, do you possibly see that when we get into another bubble or with the, the playing games? And if that does happen, um, if we do get a scenario in which you know the Lakers make it out of the West – or um, and then in the East, you might get to see a team that people perceive as weak. Do you think that's going to dilute this season? Um, wh- what do you make of what's what's going to happen in, in the months ahead? I would say that it doesn't really make too much of a difference to me, at least, because I'm not a big believer in asterisks. I think that if you if you, you to win four playoff series is incredibly difficult, and you can say that about any season. Any any season, there's never been a season where like as good as the Warriors were, where it was guaranteed. Right, injuries are a part of the game. Um, styles make fights, and that's why some team, you know, some teams that are less, more talented, lose to teams that are less talented. Uh, there's so many times in NBA history where one shot changed the course of history. The last year, the, I mean, sorry, two years ago, the Toronto Raptors won the championship after needing a, a shot to bounce four times to go in. They they were they went to double overtime in Game Three against the Bucks. I was at that game, and everyone hates me for it because I, I as a Greek as a Greek American, everyone I know loves Giannis, and I Giannis is 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 God to me almost, and, and I, I I don't I don't say that lightly. Um, but I went to that game and, and watching that they go went to two overtimes. Someone makes a free throw other than Giannis. They let's say they win that game, and his whole career is different. But on the Raptors' perspective, they're that close to going down three zero and potentially losing that series. And then against the Warriors, KD, all all that stuff happened. That all that all being said, how they could have easily lost in the second round and it could have been a disaster for them, they won, and that's just that's just how it is. Um, no matter how close they, 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 you have to be good to make make that shot, but put yourself in a position to make that shot in Game Seven against the Raptors. You have to be really good to after you pull out that game. To, number one, pull out that Game Three and put yourself in a position to do so. But then, of course, win the next three games. Right? You don't have no idea what could happen during that. In that, same thing over at Golden State. It, they had to be a very good team to still beat that Golden State team. And, and you could see that in so many other, whether it's you could, in the 90s, there's so many championships there where, where it's so close and there's things that happen in earlier rounds that could change everything. I would say that no matter what happens this season, the team that wins will have will have deserved it. Would you, could you make the argument that, okay, they wouldn't have won it under different circumstances? Of course. And you could say that about any team ever. Would they have won it if they if we were in a 1-2-2, two, two, you know, in a, in a one one two two format instead of the right now? You could say that about anybody, or, or but – and that could always change with the heat of one if the if the AC didn't blow out in 2014, right? And LeBron didn't cramp up. You could there's always going to be what ifs. The team that wins won the championship. It's to me, it's it's that simple. Well, John, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Um, please let our listeners and viewers um, know where we can find you on social media and what you're up to um, in the new year. Of course, you can follow me at j.hart21 on Instagram. That's j.hart21. And then the podcast is found everywhere at Gen Z Hoops. Um, you can check us out. We're on all so, on all social media platforms, all podcasting platforms. We're in India, China, Japan, all these different distribution platforms. So definitely shouldn't have a problem finding us there at Gen Z Hoops. Um, and, and thank you both so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, John, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, we love to return the favor. And we'll definitely have you on again. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, John.